everybody. Welcome to episode 51 of the 2QB Experience Podcast. My name is Greg Smith. I am your host. You can find me on Twitter at Greg Sauce. You can find all my work at 2QBs.com. And if you've been listening to the show at all lately, you know I'm going to start it off by promoting our 2QB and Superflex draft guide. Uh, we've got another update coming this week, tackling the latest injuries to Spencer Ware, Julian Edelman, Cameron Meredith, uh, maybe some trades perhaps, Vance McDonald moving to the Steelers. So you'll see those updates uh, reflected in the rankings and the auction values and all that good stuff. Uh, if you've already purchased a copy of the guide, you'll get an email update on how to download the latest version. But if you still haven't got yours, go to 2QBs.com, uh, get your copy today, use the promo code 2QBXP and get 10% off. And without further ado, let's jump right in with our guest here. It's Scott Pianowski of Yahoo Sports at Scott underscore Pianowski. Welcome to the show, my friend. How you doing? I'm doing great, Greg. How you doing, man? I'm doing all right. It's it's a busy time of year, uh, but we were just talking before we started about how you finally feel like you can get some some clarity and at least and dig in on on what you believe is true, right? Yeah. If you don't have opinions now, I mean, you haven't been paying attention and. It's also, you know, things have really changed for me in the last few years where I've started to do a lot more drafts early in the year, uh, MFLs and stuff. I, I think they're terrific. Some of these best ball, no maintenance leagues are a terrific way to get a sense of the player pool without having to tack on extra investment of running uh, just a ridiculous amount of teams. Because honestly, I look, I, I don't even know how many leagues I'm in, but I don't want to, I don't want to make more fab bids. I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to have more teams to run, but it's, it's a labor of love, but um, but at this point of the year, I still have some of my standard drafts to come, maybe four or five drafts coming. My, my big money league is next week. But it's getting to the point where if, if you just spit out a team or spit out a situation, you should have some opinion now. It, it, may, it may The opinion may be, I don't know, or the opinion may be this is you know, uncertain or a wide range of outcomes. But at this point, we've seen the dress rehearsal games. We've seen some injuries. We've seen a little bit of player movement. It was a pretty tame summer, I thought, for the most part as far as player values changing significantly. But a lot of things happened in the last few days. I know a lot of your listeners, prop, I would guess the majority of them haven't drafted yet. I mean, it's, it's certainly a higher percentage for um, somebody who's not in the industry as far as when the drafts come, because I think most people tend to draft late. And so this is a, a real rich point. Uh, this is a great time to talk football, because, again, there's just so much going on. And at this point, you should have uh, a lean on just about everybody. Yeah, and we're going to jump into a lot of those I-don't-know type of situations, uh, high-variance players, high range of outcomes, a little bit later, talking about general rankings, philosophy, and methodology. Uh, but before we get there, let's tackle some you know, recent news, try to keep it two-quarterback-centric if we can. Um, but actually, before we do that, you mentioned not knowing exactly how many leagues you play in, Scott. What, how much or what percentage of your leagues would you say are you know, two-quarterback or, or super-flex leagues? Well, certainly every league that I organize has been super flex. That's been that way for a while. Oh, it's, prob it's probably close to 50-50. I play a lot of variant formats. Uh, one of my drafts is a 400-pick, 20-team, 20 20-roster. 20 start anybody you want. You start everybody, and there's no even positional um, requirements. So, you know, backup quarterbacks get taken. That, that man, is that's a fun draft. But, you know, the people out there, I would think most your market has to be the people listening are probably are, we're already converted them to the super flex or two quarterback. But um, if if somebody's on the fence, what, why would you not want to deplete the quarterback pool the way we deplete the running back pool and the way we deplete the the tight end pool and the receiver pool? I mean, I, it just to me playing in a league where it's like, oh, OK, my quarterback's hurt. So I picked up Philip Rivers or Andy Dalton. I, I mean, I you know, I'm not. I don't. I want to be inclusive with fantasy, and any way you want to play it is fun. You know that's great. But to me, 
Um, you get truer results, and it's more fun when you start more players. And when you, the great thing, I don't, think, I don't know if people realize when they add super flex and when they add just flexes in general, what you gain by that is when your star running back limps off the field at 115 on Sunday, that doesn't hurt you as much as it would in a standard format that may have been prevalent 15 years ago. What we're trying to do is give you more players to root for and giving every one singular event less teeth to how you do that week or how you do that season. And I, I, what ends up happening, if you're a skilled player, I think you have a better chance of winning. Yeah, I totally agree. But I, I think there is something to be said about playing in a variety of different types of leagues. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it makes you a better player if you diversify sure. the type of formats that you play because you have to learn how to attack those different formats in different ways, and that makes you learn more about certain positions, certain types of players that you wouldn't necessarily normally care about. Like if you play in a tight end premium league, you're going to just by default have to learn a lot more about the tight end position than you would for a standard league or even a standard two quarterback league. So, um, yeah, I, I, I definitely, you're Let me right. piggyback one more thing. Oh, too. sure. Go for Another it. Another thing that, um, some people have talked about this, but I still think it's a little bit of an underreported story. I'm not a huge DFS player, but I think DFS makes you a better player too, oh, in yeah. part because it makes you understand the game theory of the nuance of a matchup where we, we start a new week, there's games on Thursday, there's early games on Sunday, there's late games on Sunday, there's a Sunday night game, there's a Monday night game. And you're, it's, it's, it's like the uh, the odds of the, of the blackjack deck or, or the poker odds as you go through the flop, the turn in the river, the odds are constantly changing and you're a favorite, you're an underdog, you have a sense of what you need to do. And that can change what what's optimal on Wednesday afternoon or on Friday afternoon or on Sunday morning may not be optimal when your game has some personality to it and again you know the idea of figuring out what makes a good dfs player what makes good dfs decisions in the middle of a game that's something that you know you talk about playing different formats how it makes you a better player i think learning dfs it doesn't mean you have to you know you have to play 100 dfs lineups or you get a, you know, dump in a ton of money to it i mean you can you can play for low stakes you can play for free you can just play with your friends which to me is the most fun of fantasy of all is playing with your buddies but um, don't don't forget that you know, through DFS, that's another way that you can sharpen your skills, and there are things that make you a good DFS player that will apply to being a good seasonal player. Yep, uh, same for best ball, like you were talking about before, dynasty versus redraft versus keepers, all that stuff. It all adds up and, and kind of informs you in different ways, and it, it, the challenge is always trying to figure out how, how to not get your wires crossed if you play in enough leagues, but um, that's, a, that's a story for a different podcast. Let's move on. Let's get into the news. I'm going to spring one on you. I kind of added this to the show notes a little late, Scott, but this news that came out today about Ezekiel Elliott appealing his suspension and how uh, if the appeal doesn't go through, he might take it to court, which if he gets an injunction might allow him to play in week one and beyond, maybe perhaps all season until they can, you know, get him to court and settle this stuff. I'm not really high on drafting these guys who are in nebulous situation, situations, but where are you at on Zeke, and does this news change where you'd be willing to draft him? My stance all along on Elliott has been that I'm probably not going to take him, and the frame that I thought was most Zeke-friendly was if you're in a, maybe a casual league where you feel like you're almost always in the playoffs, like you're in the playoffs already, right? You're drafting on draft night, and you can almost see the asterisk that you've clinched a spot because maybe it's a casual league, maybe everybody doesn't put in free agent bids every week, that type of thing. And so you just think, okay, I'm, I'm going to, the odds of me getting the, the free stuff in September and October is so high that I, I can just think, I, I just somehow go four and three or, you know, whatever when, when Zeke's out, and then I'll have a great team when he comes back. But in competitive leagues, I, I feel like 
making the playoffs is the skill, and then what happens to you there is, is kind of the luck. And I, I just hated spending a second or third round pick on a player who can't help me for seven of the 13 regular season weeks. So we were having this talk a week ago. I would say, well, if you're in a competitive league, I, I think you let somebody else try to be the hero and you try to get off to a good start. That's one of my favorite kind of fantasy themes. Is I think we, we, we need to play with a, with a microscope and not a telescope. We need to look at the things that are in front of us, try to get off to a good start, try to understand maybe the strength of schedules in September and not pretend that we have all clarity about how good teams will be in December. That's generally how I play anyway. But, Speaking of DFS skills, right? Right, right, exactly. But, man, I'm, I'm not a lawyer. There's so much inconsistency to the way things happen with NFL suspensions. And, and you know, I love how Goodell, you know, okay, you want an appeal? Good. You know, go see Roger Goodell. The whole thing with the Brady, you know, what, that's just crazy. Brady was basically driving 70 in a 65 and get the book thrown at him, which was ridiculous. But he did save that off for a year. I, I still, I'm just, I'm just not somebody who wants to take on the downside. There's too much downside for Zeke in the second or third round. I'm still gonna, unless I can see somebody build a case where it's, it's almost a slam dunk that he can stave this off for the full season. And until that's presented to me in a way that I feel confident in that area, I'm just there's too many players I like in the second round and even the early third round when I think I don't think Elliott's gonna last any longer than that, especially with this news. So. There's a case where you could draft him. Again, you, if your competition level is pretty modest, you're the best player in the room, and you know that, I could see it. But I, I still don't think he's going to be on any of my teams. Even in those sorts of situations, I don't really get it, because shouldn't you be the favorite in that league without Zeke anyway? And at the very least, if you do take him and he does have that six-game suspension, you might be looking at a situation where because you're dealing with that on your roster for the first mm -hmm. however many weeks, you could fall so far behind that you might miss the playoffs. And if anything, in an easy league, I just want to get there and, and hope that, you know, along the way I can make those those pickups and choices that help me get there. I'm with you. I think he's still a little too risky. It doesn't sound promising enough in this moment, like as we are sitting today on Tuesday, August 29th, for you know, his outlook to be that much different than it was before this news came out today. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Um, let, let's get to I also oh, one, Just one more thing, really simple, but I hate playing a man down. I hate the fact that, in I guess there, there are some leagues that may have specifical, uh, specific rules where, specifical, what the heck was that? Uh, some leagues may have specific rules where you can stash somebody who's on suspension, but most leagues don't have that. That means that you have one less spot to play with, one, one less area to get frisky with fab or with an early pickup and that's not the way i do things i like to have a liquid roster at the back of my at the back of my bench and i just don't like chewing up a spot and then look you know so you might think oh no big deal i spend one bench spot on zeke well then eventually your players are going to get hurt i mean we, we saw guys getting hurt in limited amount of playing time in this past week and you know when week one comes on and guys play three hours i mean there's going to be a ton of injuries it's just the way the nfl is so all of a sudden you have you know Zeke choose up one bench spot. I mean, who's to say how injury ravaged your team may be in a couple of weeks? And then week five comes around, you know, there's buys to deal with. So I, I just hate playing a man down. I, that what you lose in flexibility, that opportunity cost. I don't think that always gets factored in fairly as well. I think it actually matters more in two quarterback leagues because that yes. quarterback position is so much thinner. And if one of your starting quarterbacks gets hurt you don't necessarily want to drop, you know, a productive player who's active in week one or two when you have, you know, Zeke Elliott burning a hole in your bench. Um, let, let's talk about quarterbacks. I want to talk about Deshaun Kaiser being named the starter for the Cleveland Browns. Are you drafting him? Are you, are you excited about this Browns team at all? I'm cautiously optimistic. It seems like they're doing all the right things on the, you know, the management side of the team. And 
I, I think going with the, the kid to start the year is also a, a bold but smart choice because, you know, they're playing for the future. They, they need to get him some reps. Is he a guy you'll be looking at towards the end of your two quarterback and super flex drafts? You know, it's funny. Last year, I actually thought the Browns were going to be like a competitive five and eleven, six and ten type of team, and they were a competitive one and fifteen kind of team. But <laughs> it's funny how you think about how Crowell is a high floor running back in, in a lot of people's minds, even though he's on a team that won one game last year. He terrifies me. And is is going to start a rookie quarterback. I I like the offensive line. I still think Hugh Jackson is going to be a good NFL coach. I mean, look, Kaiser was the right choice for them. I mean, at least it's not Osweiler. I think Kessler isn't a bad player, but they need the upside of where Kaiser could be in a year or two. I I think starting him and giving him a long leash, which Jackson says he's going to do, is the right move. This is an interesting team to me. As you said, you didn't like Crowell. I mean, I think the offensive line is good. I think Crowell, even though he's more of a a first two two downs back because we know they're going to use Duke Johnson as a receiver, I don't think Crowell is a zero in the passing game. Interesting how they chose not to keep Pryor and then they brought in Kenny Britt, which you know they probably could have gotten Pryor. Britt's money could have gone, I would think, to Pryor. Maybe they could have kept him. I thought that was an interesting choice. But I think the Browns are on the way up. I think they're going to have a significant – the team that I thought we were going to see last year, I think we'll see this year. I think it'll be a very – kind of like the Bears last year were 3-13, and 13, but they had fantasy juice. You know, Howard had a big year. Meredith had a decent year. I think they'll be a little bit like that and maybe win five games. Kaiser's athletic ability and ability to run should open up some running lanes, albeit you lose some of that because he may run in a couple of touchdowns as well. Uh, For a a team that I know is not going to be a playoff contender, I actually think the Browns are a reasonable area to go fantasy hunting. And to be clear about Crowell, I'm I'm not avoiding him in drafts necessarily, but again, just because he plays for the Browns, because he is competing for some amount of playing time with Duke Johnson, he's in that kind of nebulous round three running back tier where, you know, Carlos Hyde is there. These guys who have question marks, he's not, you know, a slam dunk on a good offense. He's a, a good player on a mediocre offense, most likely. And there'll be flashes where I think he does well, but those aren't the types of running backs I really like to own because if I'm going to take risk at that position at all, like I feel like I can do that late to reasonable success. Now with Crowell, you get some goal line upside, which is definitely why he's worth that pick in the third or fourth round. Um, but it just he scares me a little bit. I, I said terrifies. That was probably a, a bold or, or a, a, an overzealous statement. I'm not terrified, but I'm not I'm not all in on drafting. I'm not, I'm not betting well, t- the house. Tell me something. Tell me something. The running backs that generally go in his neighborhood, mm-hmm. we're talking like a third round in standard or maybe in a super flex, just push back to fourth round, maybe even the fifth round because quarterback is so important in super flex. Who are the contemporaries for Crowell on this year's ADP list who you think if you had, or is it just you just don't like any of those running backs, and you're filling other positions, and you'll come back later. You know, maybe you take a a premium running back early, but you don't. You just think all those guys in that pocket are poor investments. I'm just curious, you know, you're kind of the the eat this not that idea of things. If you're not going to draft Crowell, but you were going to take a running back in that area, I mean, what kind of guys do you like? Um, it's more the fact that I, I want to diversify within that group because they are they all have risk, right? So I, I draft enough leagues, you know, MFL tens and and whatnot to where. I'm going to take some Crowell, but I'm also going to take some Ty Montgomery. I'm going to take Carlos Hyde here, Mark Ingram in a couple places, Dalvin Cook, Kareem Hunt. You know, I think that that tier of running backs is pretty large where there are some guys who I like more clearly and, and I'll rank them higher and all that good stuff. But yeah, Crowell, I, I think the, the, the Brown stigma is one that's hard for me to shake. I talked about 
you know, maybe trying to dust off these cobwebs and recalibrate based upon like different league settings. You have to do that year to year in fantasy too, right? You have to look at a group of players and say like, okay, I understand I didn't like this team last season, but this is a new season. What's different? Do I need to kind of look at the Cleveland offense in a different light? And I think we do. Um, but for me, there is still some aspect of the fact that it's the Browns that bugs me. And I don't, I'm not saying that's correct. I'm not saying that that's the way that I should be looking at it. But when it comes time to like hover my mouse over the draft button and, and click it, I will usually end up, you know, targeting guys on, on teams that I know are going to have better offenses. Ingram and Montgomery are probably the two that come up the most for me. How about you? First of all, I want to, I want to say that you talked about recalibrating I mean, that happens in the draft season or in the summer as well. Oh, yeah. I, I think back to how I felt about Eric Ebron five or six weeks ago, not realizing that he would have just a, a total washout of a camp and other players would gain on him. And, you know, now I felt two months ago that maybe he could lay claim to some of those Anquan Bolden touchdowns that left town. I don't feel that way at all anymore. I mean, now I would rather have Jason Witten than Eric Ebron. I'd rather have Cameron Braith than Eric Ebron. And Ebron has fallen down my list. For for a player who's not overtly injured, I mean, he's expected to play week one, but he but he missed too much time. I don't feel confident that, that he's the guy we want. In the third round, it, it's interesting. When Crowell goes, the guys I've been taking most in my drafts have been players like Demarius Thomas, players like Travis Kelsey. Um, generally, in a super flex format, I would like to have two quarterbacks in the first four or five rounds. It, you have to season that to taste and to your legal and to your league's um, preferences on that, of course, but. I really believe in Superflex leagues. You have to like your quarterbacks. It doesn't mean you have to have Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers, but I want two really strong quarterbacks I'm going to market with, and I want a third one too. I I almost always in my Superflex leagues will have three quarterbacks, and I'm fine to give up the depth somewhere else. But uh, yeah, the recalibration is not not just from year to year, but I, I mean it can be from week to week or month to month. I mean, I, you know, the worst thing you can do is get dug in on something in May or June and July. And you'll start saying, and it's not just dug in on an opinion, but sometimes you'll look at your MFL 10 profile and you say, okay, who are the players I keep drafting? You know, I was drafting a lot of Mike Gillisley early in the season. Me too. And then as the price rose and as the situation got a little murkier and went in a little bit of a different direction, I felt like I had to back off on that. I certainly backed off on, off on Ebron. But yeah, yeah, you know, we can't, you know, people will come to me all the time and say, oh, um, you know, you, you like this player, but you said three months ago, I mean, I don't I, sometimes I don't even remember what I said three months ago. All I'm trying to do is and it's not that it's not just that, you know, you see somebody make a good play or a bad play and you just immediately change your opinion. It's not quite that simple, but you you have to it, this game is, is an evolving game. Teams are constantly changing their personnel, changing their approach, trying to self scout, trying to figure out what works and doesn't work and trying to figure out what their opponent is doing as well. It's a dynamic game. It's. We're running after a butterfly that's just flying this erratic pattern, and we're trying to get a sense of what's going on. Again, I talked about the microscope against the telescope, about how I'm not going to pretend I have the answers for December because it's hard enough to have the answers in August or September. But um, the importance to be willing to to recalibrate situations and to not get tripped up in, well, I've been doing – I keep drafting this player. It must be the right pick. You know, it's almost like a ski slope where a certain run in the slope gets grooved with, with the skis, and people just follow that same path. You have to be very careful. You don't think just because I keep doing something, that means it must be right. You have to constantly be reevaluating. Yeah, definitely. I like that point you made about liking your quarterbacks and not necessarily having to get the best guys. Uh, two, two QBs who are in that sort of middle tier of the position that can have you know a lot of different deltas and value depending upon who you're talking to 
are Matthew Stafford and Derek Carr. Now Derek Carr earlier this offseason got the you know the biggest contract ever, but Matthew Stafford just went over the top on him. He you know, turned his hat around backwards and and arm wrestled Derek Carr for the win. Which one of those two would you rather have on your fantasy team this season between Stafford and Carr? It's really close. Um, I, I'm sure I have them probably as neighbors on the, on the draft sheet. They're, they're two guys who I would love to have as my second quarterback, and I wouldn't mind them being my first quarterback if I had somebody. For example, Carr and Stafford I think would be a, a decent pair. Nice yeah, uh, just guys who are durable, guys who have decent targets to throw to. Um, I'm not convinced that there's – I mean, Lynch is somebody who I'm just not big on this year. I, I know they have a great offensive line there, but it's not like these are offenses where I'm worried, oh, no, they're going to – all the touchdowns are going to be on the ground. There'll be nothing for the quarterback to do. Or, no, oh, no, their defense is so good, they're going to try to win every game 13-10 to 10 and hide their quarterback. I mean, we, we know that's not the case. And by the way, just as an aside, it doesn't bother me at all that Stafford's the highest played player in the league that's just a timing thing mm-hmm. and the way the way quarterbacks get money I mean, first of all nfl contracts are all it's all a dog and pony show anyway it's all about you know they throw out the biggest amount of money that the contract can be worth and that's never invariably worth that because players don't play their contracts or they get restructured or you know it's it's all in the form of a bonus i mean I, you know that's something for the general media to talk about we know matthew stafford isn't close to the best quarterback in the league but he's a good player there's been a lot of people taking cheap shots on the Lions and on Stafford. I, I think that's kind of silly. I, I don't. For one thing, it doesn't really have a lot of fantasy application. We knew Stafford was in Detroit and not going anywhere, and we, for fantasy purposes, we like the continuity. But you know, the Lions were such a joke before he got there, and he's made them competitive. They've made some playoff games. They haven't had a run in the playoffs. I think a lot of that is because the defense has never been that great. And even the pieces around him, other than Calvin Johnson, I mean, how many special players has Stafford really played with? But and then Johnson leaves, and they still make the playoffs. I, Stafford, to me, it's it's interesting. He came into the league, and he had a rep of maybe being injury prone, or you know somebody you had to worry about with durability. And all he's done since then is played through like separated shoulders and played through hand injuries. And I know last year he had a big slump. I think he had a thumb injury or wrist injury or something like that 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 kind of dogged him in the second half of the year. He was maybe a sleeper MVP candidate at one point, and then he kind of faded at the, down the stretch, but. Uh, Stafford to me is a very safe pick, and, and a, a guy, Carr and Stafford. I, I, I don't have a good answer. Push comes to shove on who the guy would be if I had to take just one of them. I mean, I could that could be something where just for balancing purposes, I might think if I drafted ten times, I might want maybe six cars and four Staffords or five and five because I wouldn't want to go all in on one guy. But I think both of them make sense. But they're the types of quarterbacks I end up with a lot of times in super flex leagues where I don't go for the Rodgers or the Brady or the Breeze. I don't go for that first tier guy. And I'm open-minded to the second tier. I think Russell Wilson's going to have a huge year. I, I think James Winston's going to make the leap people expect. I see all the potential with Mariota. But some of these third tier values with Carr, with Stafford, with, with Phillip Rivers, with Andy Dalton, I think getting two of those, you that you can definitely and, and then maybe get a you know kind of a boring backup like a Cutler or a Goff or a Kaiser, just somebody, you know, just a donut in the back of the car that you can throw on the wheel if you need to. Uh, as long as you feel really good about two quarterbacks, I think you're doing well. And, and Carr and Stafford, I think, certainly are um, – again, this is why you play Superflex, right? I mean, Matthew Stafford could be a really late-round pick in a lot of standard leagues. In a Superflex league, he, he could be a third or a fourth or a fifth-round pick. Yeah, I tend to prefer Stafford. I think he is a little bit more proven, a little safer, uh, and – Looking back at Carr's last season, I think that he was the benefit of a pretty soft schedule. When he played against good defenses, he did not perform all that well. If you look at like yards per attempt, things like that, Stafford 
you know, fares out a little bit better in my eyes. Uh, but you're right. It's, it's kind of a muddled tier. All those guys are pretty close between uh, those two rivers, maybe uh, depending upon how you feel about Winston and Cousins and Prescott, Dalton, Palmer, even, you know, Eli Manning. Like, there are definitely guys I like more there. Uh, but, yeah, I, I just want to make sure I get, like three quarterbacks from the top 24, top 25 of the position. And the main reason for that is so that if one of my guys gets hurt, I'm not stuck starting a Jets quarterback like Josh McCown, who's been named the uh, the week one starter for uh, the New York football Jets. It seems like Bryce Petty is ahead of Hackenberg for the backup duties there. I don't want, I hope so. Yeah, I, I do too. I don't really want any part of this, but I can envision a scenario where Maybe a quarterback run or an injury uh, could put me in a place where I need to think about rostering one of these guys. Where does McCown fall for you in that, you know, that dreadful tier of, of you know, bad quarterbacks at the bottom of Superflex rankings? Is he a guy who you might be willing to run out there in, you know, good matchups? Or is he just only going to be a bi-week fill-in for you? You know, I actually like McCown as far as in a singular sense. Right? <laughs> if I only needed if I only needed him once in a while, right? If I knew he was starting, if I knew the matchup looked good, he's at the stage of his career in his mid thirties that he's seen all the defenses. He he knows the game, he knows the position. Remember, he had that really nice run with the Bears a few years ago. I think it was with the Bears. Uh, anyway, but the thing is, he, he just we can't feel comfortable about him staying healthy. There isn't a lot to work with here. That team is really bad. I feel like he's going to have five or six games where it's going to be like, oh, look, you know, the yardage is good. The touchdowns are okay. He's thrown too many picks. Uh, the Jets are losing all the games he's playing. And then at one point he'll get hurt, or at one point they'll just decide they want to see what Petty can do or, God forbid, Hackenberg can do. I just don't have any faith that McCown will either last the season based on either the Jets being proactive and trying to see what else is, is in their quarterback group or more likely. And I, and I hate to say this because I don't, I don't wish anybody to get hurt, but McCown's injury history – I just feel like you're on borrowed time with him. He's not going to play a full season. You may take him as a depth play, and he gets hurt before you even get to the point where you need him. So I'd like somebody with a little bit more floor. I know the guys who go at the bottom of a super flex quarterback draft are, are there for a reason. It's usually a lack of talent or a lack of stability at the job. But I'd rather have somebody like Trevor Simeon say, certainly rather have somebody like Brian Hoyer, who I think is clearly a, a tear up on a um, on a McCown. I think McCown will be useful for four or five games and eventually get hurt or get benched. Yeah, that sounds about right. Let's move upstate. Let's talk about the Bills. Tyrod Taylor is, you know, in the concussion protocol at the moment, and he was a player who I was really high on at the start of drafts. Talk about recalibrating and then everything that the Bills have done has continued to push him down my quarterback rankings. And at this point, I don't even know if I would want to draft him. I, I put him so low that I don't think I'll end up with him at all. Although I did in one of my last MFL tens, just see him fall so far that I, I just pulled the trigger. I was like, you know, the rushing upside is still there. Uh, assuming he's healthy. Now that's the big question mark we're looking at now. What, what are you thinking about Taylor at this point? Because I, I don't know if he's draftable. He's kind of in that Andrew Luck gray area for me at this point. Yeah. By the way, Luck, a guy, maybe we'll talk about him later. There's a team that I've totally run from. And you know, I think the three teams that, not counting the awful teams, we all know the Jets are a joke, but the three teams I think people had hopes for maybe two months ago that I've really run away from, because uh, largely because of their quarterbacks and where they're at right now, are the Colts, the Ravens, and the Bills. 
could anything else have gone wrong for for Travis Taylor? I mean, I, I hope his house hasn't burned down, or his car <laughs> hasn't gotten stolen, or his dog hasn't run away. I mean, I, I don't mean to make light of any of those things because they're not cool, but you know, they they get rid of Watkins, and he has a concussion, and you know, now Jordan Matthews comes over, you know, right before the season, and we'll see how quickly they can get something going. And I'm worried about McCoy. McCoy is one of the more uh, likely running backs, I think, to get hurt. Uh, Jonathan Williams. Behind him, how can you feel good about any of these receivers? You know, Anquan Bolden is in town for like ten minutes and says, "Nah, I'm out of here." The, the Bills, I'm, everybody in the AFC East knows the score. I mean, the, the Patriots are still loaded, even with Edelman getting hurt. I mean, they they basically have twelve or thirteen. They're the team that already has the asterisk next to them with the clinch, and I can't, can't imagine what scenario would have to happen for them not to win that division. But Miami, even off a playoff year, is a very flawed team. Nobody thinks they'll go ten and six again. I think their over under is about seven and a half. The Jets clearly tearing it down in a rebuild. And I think the Bills have, want to go that way, too. Seems like it. And to make things worse with Taylor, the Bills just aren't in love with him. I mean, they won't make it a commitment to him. And, you know, there's been rumors of him being traded. I, I don't know if he'll play the full season. Man, I, I was with you. Two months ago, I thought he was one of the great value picks, certainly in leagues where you only need one quarterback. But but also, you know, you'd be doing really well if, if you had a quarterback you liked and Taylor and I think it was even conceivable if you totally wanted to punt the position, if you had Taylor and then maybe a Carson Palmer or something, maybe that would work out. And I don't feel that way at all anymore. I have backed way off the bills. I'm trying to limit my exposure to this team. I have, I don't think I have any McCoy. I mean, yeah, I'll take Charles Clay in the 18th round or something. I mean, if I just need a, a tight end who's going to show up, maybe he could lead the team in catches. Although staying on the field can be a problem with Clay at times. But I just feel like everything's gone wrong for Taylor. I, I, this couldn't have been a worse summer for him. The, the new offense that I'm not completely invested in. I'm not sure if Taylor's invested in it, too. And the team, I, isn't it always weird? You mentioned Ingram earlier. Isn't it always weird when the team seems to like the player less than we do? I think Mark Ingram's a great football player, and I, I think he's certainly the most talented running back on their roster. I mean, we'll see what Kamara eventually turns into. I think there's a decent chance that Adrian Peterson has nothing left to give. But the Saints, it's like, okay, uh, you're you're great, uh, Ingram, but let's get uh, Tim Hightower in here at the goal line. Or let's make sure that John Kuhn scores four touchdowns. Or, you know, Sean Payton showing his vanity at the goal line. I feel like that's the way the Bills feel about Taylor, that everybody is more interested and intrigued by Taylor and sees the upside with Taylor that maybe the Bills don't. The thing that I don't understand about that is that it's not like quarterbacks grow on trees like running backs do, you know, where – Tyrod is a is a guy who we have seen play quarterback at a competent level in the NFL, and you can draft Nathan Peterman and think that he's going to be a good quarterback to have you know a year or two years from now, but he's definitely not as good as Tyrod Taylor is right now. I mean, with Ingram, I, I agree. I, I think that he's definitely the best running back there, and I don't understand why they don't like him more, and that's why I keep drafting him. But I can see the narrative where because the running back position is a little bit you know, more fragile where they want to limit his touches to some extent. And if they sure. can find other running backs, they like, they want to use those guys. And I mean, maybe that means giving Adrian Peterson a second chance, but I'm like you, like him and Marshawn Lynch, like those types of players really are not the types of guys I like to have on my roster, but I will dare, dare people to beat me with Lynch and Peterson. And if they do, I'll tip my hat and sit and say, great going, but I'm not going to try to do that. Right. But, and so I see why the saints might do that, but at the quarterback position, it doesn't make any sense to me because it's not like you can just go out and find another productive player very easily. Like the, that is the rarest commodity in the NFL is a, is a competent quarterback. It seems. And 
I don't want to diminish like the the good players that Mark Ingram and these other guys are at other positions, but am I making sense here? Like I, I just don't understand like why mm-hmm. they can't see it with with someone who is playing a position that is markedly more difficult to find than than other spots. And also, I think there's a value to going eight and eight or nine and seven or ten and six. The, the Bills you know, being on the on the cusp of playoff contention or maybe even making the playoffs and going out quickly. Some people may look and say, oh, you know, Andy Dalton's the problem with the Bengals, right? They're not going to win a Super Bowl with Andy Dalton. Of course, you know, the, the Ravens won a Super Bowl with Joe Flacco. And you, know, you can even Trent argue Dilfer. that maybe the, the, Trent Dilfer, of course, with a generational defense. You know, Brad Johnson with a generational defense on the Bucks won a title. Mm-hmm. But, you know, these, these teams are businesses. And if the Bills could make the playoffs or be on the precipice of playoff contention, that's good for the team. You know, even I know the goal is to win a championship. I, again, I saw some people – criticizing the Stafford move, saying, you know, is he really good enough to lead the Lions to a Super Bowl? The point is, is he good enough to make the Lions relevant? Is he good enough to make them a playoff contender? That Teams have to look at that as the goal, as to be relevant and, and to get into the tournament. And sometimes teams that aren't that good go deep in the tournament, like the, that Ravens team with Flacco that, you know, was an underdog at, at Denver and at New England, or like that Giants team that made the playoffs and was outscored in, in the regular season. You know, both of the Giants Super Bowl wins, I think, were despite Manning and not in spite of, and not uh, because of Manning, especially the first one where Justin Tuck just took over and dominated mm-hmm. the game, that whole yep. defensive line. But so you know, the purgatory court, the quote unquote purgatory quarterback, you know, some people will say, well, if once you decide that Taylor can never be a top five quarterback, just move on. But it's not that simple. I mean, you, then you have to blow the whole thing up and go four and 12. I don't think that's the idea. I think if you can imagine a realistic shot at a winning season with a quarterback, I think he's good enough. And then you'll then you hope maybe you get lucky. I mean, the, the greatest thing teams can do is to get lucky with a Russell Wilson or a Dak Prescott. Even a Derek Carr wasn't a first round pick, so he didn't make huge money right away. I mean, the, the luckiest thing you can do is find a quarterback who doesn't go in, in as a franchise a lottery pick type of spot, because then it makes it so much more manageable upon your cap for a while and, until they eventually get the money that uh, a, a bona fide starter gets. But it's so impossible to find those guys and every team would like to find them um, that I don't even think you can look at that as a realistic strategy. I mean, if if you get lucky the way the Patriots did with Brady or the way Seattle did with Wilson, good for you. But I don't see how you could ever look at that as a real approach. And in the case of Buffalo, I mean, they got Taylor. He didn't cost a lot of money and they got him reasonably cheaply. And I, I think in this division, you know, maybe they could fashion themselves in their best case as what Matt Miami did last year, where they kind of sneak out 10 wins and get into the playoffs. But They've decided they weren't sure if they could keep walking, so they just sold them, I, I thought, pretty cheaply. And they, they're just, I don't know, they want to blow the whole thing up. And I, I think it's a mistake. I think they could be a competitive team with Taylor for the next few years. I would make a commitment to him. I don't think you'd have to throw ridiculous money at him. And uh, for whatever reason, they've decided. I, it seems, sure seems like they've decided that's not what they want to do. Yeah, it's a shame. Scott, are there any other stories or things that have happened in the preseason that are notably you know weighing on you and your quarterback evaluations well i this isn't really breaking news because everybody knows russell wilson is good but i think russell wilson has been mildly underrated both in the one quarterback and in the super flex two quarterback uh structure because he's not put in he's not considered in the brady class and the rogers class or even in the breeze class which i think is a mistake this is a guy who he was such a great profit player for four straight years and then last year he hurts his ankle and his knee, and for two months he couldn't run. And, and I've said to a lot of people, if you have that NFL Rewind package, go look at Game 7 when Arizona and Seattle played this 6-6 tie that 
threatened to, to push football back about 20 years. It was just a, it was a pretty awful game. There were missed kicks in overtime. But Wilson couldn't run. He couldn't do any of that Houdini, you know, ad-lib stuff. They couldn't do any read option with him. Just remember one time they tried to put him on the perimeter on a third and short, just have him pick up an easy first down, and he could barely move. And it was really hard to watch. As somebody who just loves Russell Wilson, I had a lot of Doug Baldwin last year. It was really frustrating to watch. Wilson was healthy in the final two months and played the way we expect. And then the running, not that he's going to run for 700 yards, but I mean, it's part of his game is the mobility on the ground, uh, the ability to extend plays. You hope for maybe a handful of rushing touchdowns, although that hasn't been a big deal the last couple of years. But he's healthy now, looked fantastic in the preseason for what it's worth. I don't want him to, to get a lot of throws in the preseason. I think he only made like 21 or something, but he was just on point. Uh, I think Baldwin has a huge year. I think Graham is ready to have a huge year for them. I think maybe Paul Richardson or Tyler Lockett steps up. And this offensive line can't block particularly well. I think it's, this is an offense that you can always mask offensive line problems easier in the passing game than you can in the running game. Especially you can't with run a mobile block. quarterback. Yeah, especially with a mobile quarterback. So my advice to everybody would be, it's not that you have to go all in on Russell Wilson, have him on all your teams, but the people who are listening, if you're in multiple leagues, just make sure you have some exposure to Russell Wilson. I, I'm actually picking him to be the NFL MVP this year and the biggest fantasy factor at quarterback. And it's not again, it's not like the people in your league don't know that Wilson is good. But I think last year may have soured some people on Wilson a little bit. And the first two months is completely tied to injury. And of course, anybody can get hurt. You know, who knows? Maybe he'll get hurt in week one again. And this will all go down the window, out the window or down the drain. But uh, Russell Wilson is has become one of my highest exposure quarterbacks because I just think he's fully healthy again. He's at a good time where maybe a career year could come out. I really like the way the offense is structured for him. And I think because of that offensive line, they're going to be more proactive throwing the ball than they have been in recent seasons. Yeah, you and me both. He's the one you know early-round quarterback that I have found myself talking myself into uh, when, when I'm on the clock in that third round. Because last year we were drafting him as a borderline first-rounder in these types of leagues. And he's slipping, and I don't really see it because he's still the same player you can look at those injuries not only to him but to his teammates last season and help explain that away uh i I really like that um before we get into a a more kind of broad topic of of rankings i gotta take a quick break for our sponsor and we'll be right back it'll come as no surprise to those who have listened for the past few episodes but this episode is brought to you by Playdraft. you still have time to join their snake draft best ball leagues before the season starts A lot of the times with best ball, you're going to be drafting pretty slow. You know, you get an email every day or twice a day when you come on the clock. But these leagues that they run on play draft, they fire constantly and the pick timers are quick. So you're getting through these drafts really fast and you don't have to worry about managing your roster in season because it's best ball. Your lineup's going to be optimized every week. You're going to get the best scores available for your roster construction. And once the season gets here, you can actually play DFS on play draft as well. And what they do that's different than a lot of other DFS sites is they give you the opportunity to draft those in snake draft fashion too. So instead of having to worry about, you know, ownership percentages of certain players in DFS, you're actually picking against the people you're playing against. So it's just like a snake draft. You would pick, you know, uh, Le'Veon Bell first because he has a great matchup against the Browns in week one. And then maybe the next side picks David Johnson. And then it comes back to you and you get to pick somebody else, but there's no overlap, which is really cool. And it's, it's a really unique thing in DFS. Um, and it's something that I, I'm looking forward to trying out this season a little bit more. And so if you're interested in trying out play draft, it's really easy. Uh, just go to playdraft.com slash two QB. That's playdraft.com slash T W O Q B and sign up using the promo code 
2QB, spelled the same way. And if you do that, you'll get your first best ball draft for free once you make a deposit. And you'll be ready to go uh, for those in-season DFS contests where you actually draft teams. Uh, highly recommend it. Looking forward to doing it myself a ton this year. Once again, playdraft.com slash 2QB, promo code 2QB. Let's get back to Scott. Okay, so let's jump in to the main topic here. I just want to generally talk about rankings. You know, rankings should only ever be used as a rough guide when you're in a draft, but people love them, and they can certainly be useful. I want to kind of discuss some of the subtleties of what we think while we're putting our rankings together, the methodology that goes into them. Try to help listeners get a better feel for how to use them too, because it's not really always clear cut. Like at some point they're diminishing returns, right? After a certain number of picks go, you're going to have rankings discrepancies, right? That certain types of players should become less valuable to you and you have to keep up with that. So start off with some really minor housekeeping up front. League settings are very important when you're putting together rankings, like scoring settings matter. The depth of your league matters. Uh, you know, how you are, are, we, we talked about this earlier about recalibrating to different formats, like how you're going to attack a format should be expressed in your rankings to some extent. So I, kind of just as a quick sidebar for that, Scott, does I, I have a, a strange question in terms of PPR versus non-PPR and not how it applies to wide receivers and running backs, but how it applies to quarterbacks, specifically in two quarterback leagues. Does PPR make you more interested in paying up for quarterbacks? And I say that because, you know, PPR generally – quarterback scoring is going to stay static it's not like qbs are catching a whole lot of passes during the year but it does give more value to those mid-tier wide receivers and running backs the guys who get by more on volume of touches than touchdowns and so i feel like maybe it's a little easier to differentiate a roster with an elite quarterback in a ppr league than it would be with an elite wide receiver running back does that idea hold any water for you does ppr impact how you rank quarterbacks or because we're only talking about relative value at different positions, does it not matter to you? No, it's the second thing for me. I'm thinking the relative value of the different positions. And it's an interesting idea. I'll be honest with you. I haven't really given that much thought. I'm usually when I'm thinking PPR, I'm thinking, and also, you know, when it comes to PPR, I think there are a couple of misconceptions. Sometimes I'll hear people talk about receivers for PPR, and it almost feels like they sound like every receiver is helped by PPR. Right. And <laughs> it's not, there are players who are better PPR plays than others. And we know, I mean, you know, Edelman who just got hurt is like a classic PPR guy or Jarvis Landry or Golden Tate, you know, these high reception players who maybe don't get a lot of touchdowns. Uh, obviously, you know, running backs who catch the ball. I mean, you know, everybody wants the same PPR backs. We know who they are. There's a handful of guys who are really attractive who, who get pushed up. And there's a couple of sleepers because you can imagine maybe their role's expanding and they can catch the ball. But I, I honestly haven't given it a lot of thought to it affecting the quarterbacks. I, and maybe that's something I need to look into. But generally speaking, uh, the PPR, non-PPR format has not affected my, my quarterback behavior at all. Yeah, I guess what I'm thinking is that there may be just more usable players, as, particularly at running back, because a lot of those pass-catching third-down types, you know, Alvin Kamara, Darren Sproles, those guys have very little value in a standard scoring format. Mm -hmm. And because those guys are just more viable picks in the later or mid-rounds anyway, maybe that means you don't necessarily need to target running back quite as early now. Mm -hmm. and, and that could, if you're in that fourth round and trying to decide between 
a somewhat shaky running back or not shaky, but, um, you know, kind of just a mid tier running back versus a, you know, a solid second or third tier quarterback that maybe you'll lean more towards the quarterback with that in mind. Does it, does that make sense? Definitely makes sense. Uh, I mean, the, one of the points you're making here that I really agree with is the usable player pool, especially at running back has just gotten so wide now and we're expecting so much less from our second running back or maybe a, a running back you may f- be forced to flex. It's funny, it used to be in the old days, you always wanted your flexes to be running backs, and nobody f- seems to feel that way anymore. Of course, in a super flex, you're generally forced to be that. You need that quarterback. It's mm-hmm. just, I mean, all super flex really is, and I'm sure you know all your listeners know this, but it's just a way to play two quarterback leagues where you're not screwing somebody if they find themselves without the second quarterback. You're just giving them a, a less interesting a less uh, optimum option if they can't go two quarterback in a given league it's, it's just a way because people say hey i want to go two quarterbacks but you know we got 12 teams or 14 teams you know, how's everybody going to have two and then you go super flex so you give people a plan b a less optimum plan b if they need to go that route but you make a great point that there's more playable running backs i think we expect less from them with our running back twos and, and further down the depth chart and the way I generally draft in the early rounds is that I, I try not to talk myself into I need this position. I Again, with Superflex, two quarterbacks, I think you do need to have a quarterback plan. But it's perfectly viable that you could have no running backs in four or five rounds. I mean, you know, everybody knows what zero RB is. I'm not going to say, well, okay, I, I took two, run, two receivers to start. My third round pick has to be a running back. I'm never going to think that way. I, I never want to say, well, I, I really don't like this guy, but I have to pick this guy in the third round. That's go out and get the best value you can. I mean, obviously every league is different. Some leagues are more active on the wire. Some leagues are active in trading. Some leagues aren't. Some leagues you can't trade at all. But generally what I'm trying to do in a fantasy draft, especially in the early rounds, is I'm trying to get the best value I can. I'm trying to get the players that I'm most comfortable with thinking they're going to have strong seasons. Just you know, So I want everybody is upside in the early rounds, but I want some four built in too as much as I can sell myself on the idea of floor, because I guess it's partially it's an illusion, the NFL being so dynamic and, and so injury-driven as it is. But the bottom line is this. Do not think, oh, i got to take a running back in the third round, because blah. I, no, you don't. I mean, maybe you can get somebody just as good in the fifth round. Maybe you'll get lucky in the seventh or eighth round. Maybe you'll pick up somebody on waivers. And I know, look, your opponents are all trying to get those guys too, especially in a competitive league. It's not like the waiver wire belongs exclusively to you. But don't don't talk yourself into picks, you know, and, and take who you think you're really confident is going to have a good season. And if it looks like your roster construction in the early rounds isn't maybe something ideal, you have the rest of the draft and the rest of the season to figure that out. Another thing that, that falls into this, too, is bye weeks. I almost ignore bye weeks. Yeah. The only the only thing I don't want to do, the only bye week thing I would, would not want to do, well, obviously, in a, in a best ball league, you can't, like, have two quarterbacks with the same bye week because you're going to flush too many points that way. But... Other than having a team that's loaded on an early buy, like I wouldn't want my whole team to be like week five buy or something like that. I, I know some people say, oh, well, just blow off one week and be great every other week. I, I, I would try not to do that. The whole idea is this. Say you had a team and you go, oh, no, my whole team's off on week nine. Your roster is going to look so different, and the NFL is going to look so different by the time week nine gets around. And that's That problem will probably sort itself out with pickups, with injuries, with, with guys you get. Your roster con- composition will change. You'll make trades. I mean, it, you know, if it still was a problem in week nine, you'll reevaluate it. Maybe maybe you're six and two and it doesn't really matter. Or maybe you're in a must-win situation and you get to start trading guys in week nine for guys who are available in that week. 
worry about that then. Do not play week nine in August. I think that's like the bye weeks. I, there's so many times I'll draft and I won't even look at the bye weeks. I don't even care. No, me neither. And this is one more, you know, check on the the pro side of your DFS mindset again. Coming back to that, it's like play that week to week game. That's that's how you win uh, these matchups. Uh, I want to talk kind of big picture here. How does the market price, like ADP, things like that, affect the way you rank and evaluate players? Like we we talked about how we don't like Marshawn Lynch this year, and does it matter if I rank him, you know, three rounds below his ADP versus 10 rounds below? Because either way, I'm not going to get him. I, what, what is your approach there? Yeah, with the players that I know are strong fades for me, I spent so little time trying to put, I mean, obviously we, we have public rankings and people are using them. And so I want to give a fair representation of how I feel, but I know the market is so much higher on Lynch than I am. I know the market is so much more willing to create an Andrew Luck narrative that I won't create. So many people are like, oh, well, just draft them, and then you'll have great trade bait. And in a standard league, that won't work. That could work in a super flex league because that's when you can trade a quarterback. I get asked every year, people ask me in week eight or week 12, I have these two great quarterbacks, who do I start? And I always say, well, have you tried to trade one? Well, nobody wants a quarterback. Have you tried to trade one at you know at a discount? Trade one to the worst team in your league. Trade one to somebody who can't hurt you. I've tried. I can't do it. You know. It's just such a hard thing to do in a standard league. In the case of Lynch, Luck, some of the other guys I just don't want to draft. I'll have them low enough on my list that I know somebody else is going to want to take them. And again, some people say to me, what if Lynch went to this great round? What if Luck went to this great round? That happens so infrequently. With play- Now, again, there are players that everybody kind of universally dislikes, and maybe you can get that. You know, Maybe the price will really collapse. Maybe Tyrod Taylor will go to such a ridiculous price that you have to consider him. Matt Forte. Matt Forte, right. I, I think with, with Luck and Lynch, people are still trying to talk themselves in. There's always one person who wants to be the hero yep. and say, oh, well, Lynch is going back home, and look how great the offensive line is, and Andrew Luck's the top five quarterback when he's healthy. Of course, he's not healthy right now. He's not throwing right now. He's not talking to the media right now, uh, which which makes me wonder what the team knows and, and what they're how, how they're trying to spin this and control the dissemination of the news. Uh, these guys, I have them lower than – much lower than their ADP or their consensus ranking. That's good enough for me. I just know that somebody's going to try to talk themselves into those guys. And and who knows? Maybe you'll be right. You know, you can come back to me in, in November and say, hey, Lynch has 11 touchdowns. I'm having, I'm enjoying the hell out of it. And I'll tip my cap and say, good for you. You know, because there's going to be a million things that we're going to be wrong on and certainly a million things that we didn't expect that would happen. But my feeling is if you just have the player, a polarizing player like that down enough, just a little bit off the – the consensus, I feel like that's enough for me. I mean, I, I know I can adjust my thinking on the fly anyway. I'm not looking at my rankings as a static thing, as any kind of a mandate. But when it comes to, I talked about the teams I'm fading, the Ravens, the Bills, the Colts. I almost feel like I don't even see, they talk about a chess player. An expert chess player will not see the illegal moves. He won't consider moving his pawn backwards or, you know, or moving his rook in a way that you can't. You know, that's that's the way I am with the players I don't want. It's almost like I don't see them when I look on my draft board. Yeah, it's almost like they might as well not be in the rankings at all. I, I think that one of the big distinctions we need to make here is that, like, if you go to a site like Fantasy Pros, right, they have an accuracy contest. You and I both put our rankings up there, and, you know, we're trying to, you know, make these rankings as useful as possible. But ultimately, they're more an expression of 
how like which players we want to draft, not necessarily which players we think are going to score the most points. Now, when Fantasy Pros does their accuracy rankings, you know, at the end of the year, at the end of every week, they're looking specifically at the points and they're saying, okay, who is closest to to getting this ordering of players correct? But I, I just don't see the value in ranking players like that because the how and the when of player scoring points is so critical, right? You have to think about, uh, am I drafting too many high upside guys? Am I, even if I think one player is more likely to hit their ceiling, he's of like a wide range of outcomes. He's still a player with a wide range of outcomes, right? And I just don't, I don't see the point in trying to predict just end of season points with rankings. It has to be more an expression of the players that I want to draft the players I'm interested in drafting uh, like what you mentioned earlier, kind of focusing on the first few weeks of the season and trying to make sure you come out strong. And that's why you don't have Andrew Luck at the top of your rankings or Tyrod Taylor. And I don't know, can you talk a little bit about that and, and, and what you're actually trying to accomplish with your rankings? Is it? it I, I imagine it can't just be who you think is going to score the most points, right? No, of course not. I mean, the most important thing to me is to have players in – the right pockets where they're up against other players I would be considering them against and understanding where the tier, where the talent clusters and where the talent drops off. I mean, it gets to your pick. Um, say, say you're picking, I don't know, fourth in the draft. It comes back down. So you're going to make a pick and then there'll be six more picks before you pick again. Say you at that point want a receiver and you see five or six guys or even three or four guys that look pretty similar. You could conceivably wait on that position and attack another position that you need because you don't think all those receivers will go between that, that and your next pick. I mean, the clusters of talent, the ability to find players who are similar in talent or maybe a player who's significantly cheaper. You know, how many times do you see teams like – I like I think Demarius Thomas is a good pick this year, but Emmanuel Sanders is going to go two, three, four rounds later, and is he really that much different than, than Thomas? You know, Adam Thielen is, is a player who's on a bunch of my teams. He had a really nice breakout year last year. You know, Stephon Diggs, nothing against Stephon Diggs, but is he that much better than Thielen that we can justify you know, the gap in their ADP? And, and, I, and I get you, you just can't bank on getting Sanders or Thielen or you know players like that, Michael Crabtree, because the people in your league get the big picks too. I mean, you know, some people are going to like them also. But the idea is where does the talent cluster? What is similar? Um, where What positions can I wait on? I think a big part of understanding your rankings and your draft strategy is asking yourself the question, what positions will I want to draft late? What positions are easy to draft late? And what positions aren't easy to draft late? In a two-quarterback or super flex league, quarterback is going to stink late because all the guys are going to be gone. There may even be some leagues that are deep enough where backups are taken, where I've never been in a draft, Greg, all, all season. I haven't been in MFL or any kind of a draft where I couldn't find a receiver at the end of the draft I liked. As, as just a depth player, as six, wide receiver six or seven or eight. And, and even then, I, I wish I had more Chris Hogan, who, you know, look at what's gone yeah, right for right. him. <laughs> um, there's some other players who fit that mold too. But so uh, to me, it's about, you know, having the players that you're really dug in on, you know, high enough or low enough in tier, but it's really about having, having the talent clustered where you think it clusters and knowing where the drop-offs are. And, and maybe if you have to take a, a couple of different markers. Or you have to draw a line and say, okay, this is the receiver group I'm comfortable with being my second receiver. After this, it falls off a cliff. And then you can make decisions based on those types of things when you're drafting. And, and also, you know, in the middle of the draft, maybe you can't do this too much if you're picking like fifth or sixth. But if you're somewhere towards one of the ends, 
you have to look at what the other people in your league have drafted. If you're, especially if you're picking like second, third, or fourth, you can look when you get when you come back down to you, and then you're going to pick, and and you know a, a team may have a roster composition that's slanted in a certain way. If he's already taken four running backs. He only has one receiver, or he hasn't taken a quarterback yet. It's a two quarterback league. You can make a pretty reasonable bet of what his next move is going to be, and that can allow you. To, nothing is more satisfying to me than looking at what somebody behind me in the draft is likely to do and it encouraging me to make a decision that allows me to wait on somebody who I wanted or maybe pick somebody because I knew that they were going to go in a certain position or at least were likely to. I, I know that not everybody you draft against you can put a, co- a cogent thought on. It's like playing poker. You know, Some people will pay attention to logical things and some people won't. And once you realize that somebody has a screwball strategy, you have to stop trying to put anything, any kind of move on them or any kind of logical thought on them because it won't apply. But that's one of my favorite draft dynamic things is just learning your neighborhood and getting a sense of what they're likely to do and how it may press you to go in a different direction with maybe your first of two picks based on what the neighborhood personality is. Yeah. And I love that point you make about trying to figure out where you can find value late. And I don't know if you can do that in a vacuum. You kind of have to do more drafts to figure that out. You have to practice. You have to do an MFL 10 you know, back in March or April and, you know, maybe another one the next month and, and kind of see where those values start to shake out for you in the middle and late rounds. And that really informs how I do rankings, especially in terms of overall rankings. And, and I will be the first to admit that I think overall rankings are a trap. I think if you have anything beyond maybe a top 30, you're it doesn't really matter at that point because after a certain number of picks, totally agree everything is different you know you're, that's you're, the last thing you want to draft at that that sheet has maybe a little bit of, of value in the first couple of rounds and then i would just throw that out because it's so it's, it's all about the player pools it's all about the marginal values uh, at the different positions and how those players interrelate that that was that's one of the it's a simple tip but that's what one of the strongest tips i would give people i get asked all the time where's your top 150 where's your top who 200 cares? have a master list that's not how you're going to draft that's, that's not how we construct our teams no, and, and yeah, I, I think the only reason a top 20 or top 30 is useful is just to make shortcuts for yourself in the beginning of the, of the draft to say, okay, I here are the players that I know are great, essentially, right, at each position, and you can do that the, the tiering and the talent clustering as you see fit to say, okay, David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell are the two best running backs, and they provide a distinct advantage over most of the other backs because they're bell cows, they play in good offenses, and they catch passes. Uh, and then after that, I'm going to cluster the top wide receivers together because, you know, they have such great volume and their touchdown threats and all that good stuff. But, you know, after the great players are gone, you have to react not only to what you've drafted already, but you have to react to what everyone else is drafting. Because like you said, there are screwball strategies all around you. There are, there are going to be some things that surprise you, even in the first couple rounds, to the point where any overall ranking sheet or top 200 that you come up with pre-draft is it just doesn't have any value after the first say two or three rounds at best maybe even after one round to be honest i, I think that it's just they're, they're such a trap i i i'm constantly talking about this and i i love that you were also <laughs> a little frustrated by that question of where's your top 200 because people want that stuff and they want to see it but i just don't know how useful it is i'm just going to admit too and Maybe I shouldn't say this, but if you, I, there are, I do have a top, I don't know, it is two, 200, 150 on Yahoo, but I, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm not spending time figuring out if my number 74 player should be more, higher or lower than my number 77 player. What I do every day is I look at the player, I look at the quarterback pool, 
in and of itself. I'll get the running back pool in and of itself and all the other positions in and of themselves. And I want those rankings to make sense. And so that, that to me is if you're looking at my rankings, you want to do that. You want to figure out how those pools make sense to you and, and where the tiers are. And I'll help you. I also do a, a pricing for different positions. And it's not, it's not because I think you should bid this much on the player. You have to completely season that to the way your league is structured with how much money is in it. Is there keeper inflation or not? That type of thing. But that's so my rankings will tell you how I feel about the players in a snapshot. And then when I price them, that will show you, okay, even though this guy is my number 33 receiver and this guy's my number 34 receiver, there may be a big difference versus the number 41 and 42 guy may be exactly the same as I perceive it now. But yeah, you have to. I'm just I'm just nodding here in, in agreement, so I, I, sh- I shouldn't you know really say that much more. But yeah, don't don't say oh I had to pick this guy. He was 117, and this other player was 122. If you're looking at that, you're really missing the way you should be constructing your team. Yeah, great point about the auction values though. Those are a little bit more indicative of the actual drop offs in talent within positions and comparing positions. I, I like that point. I think we we would all be better served if we move towards more auctions. They're just not logistically as easy as a snake draft, unfortunately. Let, let's get into some player-specific stuff. Uh, I want to talk about guys that you think have been difficult for you to rank or evaluate this season. Are there any guys that jump out to you? Yeah, you know, Ty Montgomery is a guy I don't know what to do with. Uh, a player who the Packers needed to be br- brought to the altar kicking and screaming last year, uh, made a nice adjustment in position. It's so cool to see a number 88 in the backfield. Cool. I really enjoyed that, but... Yeah. Obviously, riding shotgun in Aaron Rodgers' offense, which is great for a running back. He can catch the ball. Is he built for a heavy workload? The Packers, now, they didn't go all in on running backs in the draft in the sense that they, in a draft that had a lot of good ones, they didn't go out and spend a lot of draft capital on their running backs. But they did draft three of them late. I'm just not sure if the Packers view him as, you know, how many touches do they want to give Montgomery? Do they feel that his body type and his running style is conducive to a heavy workload? I've had, in fact, I even, I don't do this a lot, but I actually wrote an email to uh, to Herb Ilk, who's a friend of mine who works for Rotowire, lives in Wisconsin. He's a huge Packer fan, and I just know that he is as close to this team more than I will ever be. I mean, you know, if, if their backup right guard got hurt, he knows about it. And I, I wrote to him and tried to get a sense of how he felt about Montgomery because I've, I've had trouble. I've been very... Uh, I don't know. I feel like I'm just walking around in the dark on him. And obviously, the, the one that the one situation I think everybody knows is a tricky one is that New England backfield, yeah. where they have three or four guys who can do different things. Some of them run the ball better than others. Some of them catch the ball better than others. Some of them are more just versatile players. Some of them play special teams. Some of them don't. We know the Patriots are not going to give us their game plan ahead of time. And just to mess with everybody, last year they had a very projectable backfield where they decided early in the season that Blunt would be their touchdown guy. He'd be their closer. Anytime you could see the Patriots as a pretty heavy favorite, we know that that's great correlation to the type of running back that Blount was. But it seems like this year the Patriots, have, for whatever we can tell, it seems like they're making more of an effort to have more versatile players in the game so they don't telegraph to the defense what they're going to do. And granted, with their personnel, it may not even matter because they're just so loaded. They're just going to attack what defense's weaknesses are. And if you come up against a light front, you know they may check passes to runs and vice versa. But I've had a trouble. I, I, I feel like I have a lot of you know, the, the best ball leagues are a lot more liberating for Patriots players because you just get the stuff when the they do stuff, it. Yeah. You don't need to project it ahead of time, but projectability is going to be a problem for this team in the regular part of the season. And Montgomery, I don't, I still don't think I have a great answer on Montgomery. Back to my friend, Herb Bilk of Rotowire. I feel like what he said to me probably made me like Montgomery less than I did already. 
but I've never felt like I've had two solid feet on the ground with my Montgomery rankings. He's a guy I've been drafting a lot, but that's mostly because I play a lot of PPR, and I do think he has a fair amount of upside in that format. Uh, I am worried about you know, his potential use in the red zone, and, and like you said, just the fact that it's almost worse to me that they brought in three low-level guys because that tells me they're just trying to throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. And mm-hmm. if they're willing to take that sort of approach, maybe that they don't think that Montgomery is going to stick long term. And, you know, maybe that won't play out until next season or the season after. But it's it's definitely risky. And, and you're not making me feel good about how much I've drafted him. Um, how about it? I want, the- I want to be clear. I want to be clear here. I When I don't draft him, I don't feel good. When I draft him, I don't feel good. I, I just think there's a huge range of outcomes here. I think we could be talking in January and being like, wow. Tom Montgomery was one of the five or six right answers, the guys who really moved the needle. Or you might be looking at it and be like, ha, remember when we thought Ty Montgomery was a feature back? I, I don't know. I, this is the biggest I don't know on the board for me. I think a lot of it is going to be tied to how much Randall Cobb can get back to the player that he was before. And he's one of the guys that's... So been... funny you say that, because when I wrote to my friend Herb, that, those were the two guys I wanted to talk about. And that, he's that guy who I can't get a good feel on the wide receiver position, because, I don't know, he's still young, but... This is two years in a row. We haven't really seen him produce. And, and, you know, two years ago, he had a real big opportunity to do so. And, and it's hard to say how much health factored into that. We know it factored in last season. But, I yeah, I, I see Devontae Adams, and I know a lot of people are wary of him and, you know, the touchdown rate he posted last season being due for some regression. But Devontae Adams was a pretty high-profile prospect in terms of, you know, what the Packers paid for him and what they expected of him. I think he's probably the real deal. Now, will he score as many touchdowns as last season? Probably not. But I think that a lot of his ascendance is going to come at the expense of Randall Cobb and probably Tom Montgomery to some extent. But there there are so many moving parts here. But I they, think also he, add, they also add a tight end who could easily score eight to ten touchdowns in Martellus Bennett. Yeah, Bennett. And he's a guy who I do like, uh, you know, in that kind of last vestige of the usable tight ends who, you know, have uh, – top 10 or top five tight end upside maybe mm-hmm. if they if things break right but what do you think about Cobb is he a, a player you're targeting at all or is he like Montgomery in a, in the way we've been talking about where it's just it's hard to it, hard to put a pin on him Cobb is somebody I feel pretty comfortable fading even as the price has gotten lower and lower and you're getting him I think a lot of people are saying hey it's the seventh round he's Randall Cobb he's in the Packers offense but a lot of what he does is, is stuff behind the line of scrimmage I feel like some of that is lost because, you know, Adams can, can make those catches. Montgomery can make those catches. Cobb doesn't have any deep element to his game anymore. He's been hurt so much. He's at a stage in his career where I think he's not that far away from a close season. Even as Cobb's price continues to dip and it just becomes this glittery thing where you can just – you get to the point where you're drafting him almost all for upside because he's so – if he doesn't work out, fine. He was your sixth or seventh or eighth round pick. You can so easily replace those players. But – I still find myself very low on – I wish I had more Bennett. Bennett's a guy I'm underweight on, and I wish I weren't. Cobb's a guy I'm underweight on, and I actually feel comfortable with that stance. Yeah, let's talk about quarterbacks because this is a 2QB podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, are, are there any quarterbacks who you've had a tough time getting a feel for? Well, Luck is a guy who I, I walked away from, so I, I'm comfortable there. You know, Brian Hoyer is a player – I don't know. I, I, I feel like I'm very proactive drafting Hoyer as my second or third quarterback in a lot of leagues because I, I like the way he fits with Shanahan. I like that Hoyer has been a productive player when he's been on the field. But I talked about McCown earlier. I just feel like he's going to have maybe a third uh, of a season of relevance and then just get hurt at some point. With Brian Hoyer, you always feel like you're drafting into an injury. 
And I wonder if maybe I've started to pay a price for him that isn't giving enough consideration for that. I mean, we know the NFL is is a very dangerous, physical, fast, quick game that, that's going to have a ton of injuries to it. The league has done everything it can to legislate against the quarterbacks getting hurt. And so it's gotten to the point now that if you draft a majority of pocket quarterbacks, you just feel like they're going to play 16 games because the league is structured that way. But Hoyer, I I don't know. And also, maybe I'm, I'm overrating the Shanahan factor. I mean, maybe there just isn't enough pieces. There aren't enough pieces in this 49ers offense to make it sing. But I think Hoyer has been quietly productive. I mean, remember the one big year DeAndre Hopkins had, it was really tied to Hoyer. Not, I'm not saying Hoyer drove that story, but he was good enough to at least not get in the way of it and screw it up. And then Hoyer was doing some really nice things with that Bears offense last year before he got hurt. I, I ask you, Greg, I mean, how many comfortable, how many games do you feel comfortable saying that Brian Hoyer will play this year? Oh, I'm, I'm with you. I'm kind of drafting him somewhat aggressively, especially in two quarterback, or I guess only a two quarterback. But yeah, I, I expect him to play 16 games at this point. And I'd love that you bring up that point about, you know, mobile versus pocket quarterbacks, because the two guys I've had the hardest time getting a beat on are Marcus Mariota and Dak Prescott. These guys who get outside the pocket a little bit more have, you know, less track record behind them. And I think earlier you mentioned that you can see the upside with Mariota. I can see it too. And that is an ascending offense by all accounts. I just, I don't know if I can draft him at his ADP for a two quarterback format. I can rank him there pretty comfortably and say, yep, I do think Mariota will probably reach these heights if he stays healthy, which is that if he stays healthy thing, you can staple to any player in the league. Mm-hmm. So like Mariota, I think you have to rank him in that, you know, second or high third tier of, of passers. But I, I don't know. There's so many little, not red flags, but yellow flags or orange flags. And with Prescott, I think those are a little bit more glaring, but I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that these guys are probably going to take more hits than the other quarterbacks. And, and maybe that's the reason why, I feel like I'm less confident in my rankings of them than other pla- other players. Yeah, Mariota is a tricky player because he's a very buzzy player who people want to draft. And Tennessee, I mean, look, and I, I'm I'm in on too. I think this is a really ascending team, maybe the best offensive line in football. But when they get to the goal line, it, it maybe Henry punching him in, and maybe Murray punching him in. A lot of moving parts to this passing game where they draft a top five receiver. Corey Davis has been hurt for the majority of the summer. They add Eric Decker, whose medical file is worrisome late in his career, and he's changing teams again. Delaney Walker is getting to an age pocket where you just wonder uh, for a tight end, at what point does his production really take a hit? I I think Richard Matthews is the great value in that group, and I keep drafting him, feeling like I'm getting him at close to his floor, and he he offers all upside. But Tennessee, Mariota, he's a tough guy in two-quarterback because I think people draft him so proactively, even though I have him ranked pretty high at seven i know i'll be in drafts where somebody's gonna say no no he should be four he should be five he should you know he might challenge breeze at the third spot i, I think it's not hard to find people who like mariota and when i don't get him because somebody drafts him proactively at least i just kind of shrug and say okay at least i feel so good about these other guys you know, another player i struggle with is kirk cousins because i really don't think kirk cousins is qu- really that good i he's think not. he's <laughs> I think he's smart I, I think he understands the offense i think he works with exceptional pieces which may or may not include Jordan Reed for any length of time. Jordan Reed is somebody I'm not drafting. I just I'm petrified he might play four games. He, I mean that foot injury. He's playing with a with a messed up foot. I don't know how injured it is. I don't know how much he can handle that through the types of things, the type of rehab they do in season, or the type of painkillers you may take on game day. I'm, I'm not close to the Washington situation to speculate on what Reed may or may not do. But I know he's missed a lot of games, and that's not even beginning to 
address the fact that he has an extensive concussion history. And if you take Reed off the field, remember they lost to Sean Jackson, who for whatever he does for fantasy, just having him on the field makes your offense better. It just changes the way everybody defends you. And Reed's that type of guy too. I'm afraid that if Cousins, if you put him in an offense with Jackson's gone, uh, Reed may be compromised. Or I, I again, I, I feel like there's a huge range of outcomes of how many games he plays. I certainly don't think he's going to play a full season. I don't think anybody does. You know, Terrell Pryor has only been a receiver for one year. He had an okay year at Cleveland. I think it's been a little bit overrated. Remember, he only scored four touchdowns. He had a pretty slow start off the mark for Washington. In Washington, you know, nothing. I, I don't want to appeal to authority here because teams do dumb things all the time. But it's interesting how Washington doesn't want to link up with Cousins. They don't want to get this deal done. And if they do, the price just keeps going up. I mean, Stafford just made Cousins even more money next year probably. But Cousins, Cousins to me, I think there's more of a downside with Cousins than some people want to accept. I completely agree, and I don't want to step on this piece, but we've got a bold predictions uh, roundtable coming out of two QBs later this week, and I have a little bit of a takedown of Kirk Cousins in that. So uh, keep an eye out for that. I, I He's a player that I do not like. He's one of the few quarterbacks that I am – pretty much just fully staying away from um i want to get back to the titans and we talked about Mariota, but and, and you did talk about how you like richard matthews but when it comes to ranking a guy like richard matthews versus eric decker versus Corey davis again it's all relative to adp right Will you, would you actually have richard matthews ahead of those other two receivers in your ranks i think it's a case of i have them all in similar tiers and similar buckets and because in most of my drafts, I know Davis's prices fluctuate a little bit because when he wasn't on the field for such a long time, people became a little bit more leery of him. But I always feel that the rooms I'm in, Matthews is never the first receiver taken or rarely the first receiver taken in that group. Mm-hmm. I think he's just as good as those guys just for fantasy purposes this year. So it's a case of I think they're I, – I mean, I like Matthews most of all because I think he has a, a – I think the chance of any of these guys being their best receiver is all pretty close to even – and the market doesn't price them that way, that Decker will go before Matthews and Davis likely will go before Matthews. So once – this is where it's nice when you're on a player like Matthews. You can just kind of wait. My advice to somebody with, if you wanted Matthews would be this. Wait until at least Decker goes. Do, do not take right. Matthews before Decker because you almost never have to. And once Decker gets drafted – now you have to be careful because sometimes when a player – sometimes players on the same team will get drafted. If, they're 80, if their draft slot is going to be similar – Sometimes the mentioning, the suggestion of one name kind of either keys people into the other player or gives them the idea that it's, it's time to move on that player. But my advice would be wait till Decker gets drafted and then try to maybe get Matthews with your next pick. If you have a glaring need or just a player who's an unbelievable value, you could maybe wait two rounds. But I, that's what I've been doing, and I, I still end up with a lot of Matthews. In the case of Davis, you know, when, when a receiver goes that early, and, and obviously he was a terrific player with Central Michigan, I think it was, or Eastern Michigan, one of the directional Michigans, you know, put up huge, num- <laughs> huge numbers. People envision him being a star someday and think, why not? Why can't it be in the first season? And I would have maybe been more open-minded to that if he had a great camp. And I, I know he was looking good in early practices, but he's just been hurt so much. I don't see how... I don't want to draft him as somebody who I'm expecting something to happen right away. The worst thing you can do, and again, I, we have false positive with the NFL. The idea that we feel confident about anything sometimes seems folly because of just how hard this league is to evaluate and how many moving parts there are. But given the way Davis's summer went and how limited his activity was, the one thing I feel extremely confident on is he's not going to have a fast start. And what you want from your players who come to your bench is, and again, you can't always know this, and, and things are going to happen we don't expect. 
but I want those stories to develop as quickly as possible. Oh, yeah. it's, it's like you talk about with a quarterback, right? You say all the time, you want a quick, you want a quick read. You want the quarterback to know really quickly what he's doing with the ball. You want a defined read, a defined throw. I want the players on my bench whenever possible. And again, it's not always something easy to get, but I want that defined read. And I feel like with Corey Davis, it's going to be a slow. It's going to take. It's like a seven-step drop. I mean, you need him to get deeper into the season and feel his way out and see what how the Titans are using him. So it's not going to be a defined read. So the worst thing is you may draft him and feel like you need to keep him for a while to see where the story goes because you're so petrified he's going to blow up the moment you cut him. I try not to have players on the. When I think of the, your bench, like Davis will be drafted as probably a bench player in most leagues, but maybe your first receiver off the bench, somebody who you might need to play when guys get hurt quickly or when the buys come up. I'm afraid his story will develop too quickly to give him fantasy value. So to me, it's a hard pass on Davis, and I still think Matthews is the great value here. So how about the like – we're talking about a wide receiver core that is a little uncertain. How about the running back committees? Like I look at a team like Seattle, and for whatever reason – Thomas Rawls is still going after Eddie Lacy, even though Rawls has been ahead of him on the depth chart this entire preseason. I, I've, I'm like you have been with Richard Matthews. I just wait until someone else drafts Lacy, and then I ask myself the question, do I want Thomas Rawls on my team? Um, and, and you could even take that a step further and say, okay, someone's drafted Lacy, someone's drafted Rawls. Do I want CJ Procise on my team? How do you approach the, those bigger committees at the running back position? In the case of Seattle, it's pretty simple. Lacy has never been... He's one of those players that's on my board that isn't on my board. I've never considered drafting him. Uh, I got a fair amount of Rawls when he was cheap, and even when the price started to elevate a little bit, the fact that he was still going before Lacey was good enough for me. I've, I've actually gotten in some drafts now where Rawls is going before Lacey. But the problem with this offense is they can't run block, and, it, and if you can't run block, you're putting a lot on. And I'm granted Wilson's mobility, if it's back, helps these guys, and, and we, we know it's a plus for a running back. But there's so many players now that – Carson looks like a legitimate factor. He's going to probably make the team. And, and you can imagine, I, don't, I think Pete Carroll is not going to be tied to anybody. And, and the Seahawks aren't going to be tied to anybody. If there's a hot hand, if, if Lacey shows a hot hand, if Rawls shows a hot hand, I mean, obviously ProSize, we know he has a skill set um, with that really big body, a converted receiver is now running back. And we saw it late last year where he did some things. I think they're just going to go hot hand. They're just, it's going to be a fluid situation. It could be a week-by-week situation. And at the end of the day, whoever's getting the carries there is going to have to deal with an offensive line that is not going to open a lot of holes. You get some of that back with Wilson, as I said. But uh, it's a case of I'm not taking Lacey. I'm open-minded to the other three guys at the right price, which which for Carson means, you know, last-round pick. Maybe he's your, one of the guys you're, you're excited to fab early in the season, that type of thing. Uh, Procise, I think Procise has been kind of pricey in a lot of my leagues. I play yeah. mostly PPR, and people just want to build a scenario where Procise becomes their most – featured player in that backfield even if it isn't all you know running because he's such a good receiver but um i I don't have a a hard answer of how i handle situations well here's the first thing okay 10 years ago or five years ago you'd say oh no that team uses two running backs it's a running back by committee right to me a running back by committee starts at three now and and even there are some teams with three where it isn't even that big of a deal but um the teams like i look at like a team like the falcons obviously freeman's a great player coleman's a great player i think the amount that Coleman would take over if Freeman got hurt is a little bit misunderstood because I think if Freeman did get hurt, I think Coleman would be the featured back, but Ward would get a lot of playing time too. I don't think they'd want to expose Coleman to a ridiculous amount of touches, but that's not a big deal. They have two running backs. I'm not at all afraid to draft Freeman even with Coleman there because it's primarily two guys. What's problematic is when you get three and four 
man backfields, as, especially with cases like Seattle or New England, where they, they don't care, or you, even the Saints to some extent. Although I, I think Ingram, as you said, was a great value in part because I think Peterson's overrated. And um, but you know, the Patriots don't care who scores the touchdowns. The Pete Carroll doesn't care who you know Seattle's running back. They don't care what that Lacey has the best resume of those guys, or he used to be good two years ago, or what Rawls did in 2015. That matters nothing to them. That team has always been about competition. Both these teams, and the better teams in the league, are always about depth chart competition, having good players, next man up. Uh, the player who's producing is going to stay on the field. The player who just fumbled or blew a blitz pickup is not going to be on the field. I guess a lot of teams play that way, but I feel like we know that with Belichick, I mean, you fumble, you, you might as well be in Siberia for a couple of weeks, and we've seen that so many times. So I, this is a long-winded answer, and I'm not really sure I actually got to a concrete answer, but um, two-team running backs, not worried about them. Three-team, four-team, you have to ask yourself, you have to tell yourself a story where can I see somebody shoving everybody out of the way? Like with Joe Mixon, I think I'm willing to draft Joe Mixon maybe more proactively than some other people will because i can imagine and they don't have a great line either for for what that's worth but i can imagine a scenario where the bengals accept you know what joe mixon's a lot better than everybody else we have at some point we just need to play our best player i don't see somebody i do have some rawls but i don't see somebody in that seattle backfield who's good enough who knows maybe carson will be that guy someday and, and we know it's it's not unusual in the nfl if there's one position where you don't want to get all uh, snotty about when somebody was drafted, it's running back because you know guys have late running back pedigrees or drafted or undrafted players who went, you know, I think Rawls wasn't drafted, right? I mean, a guy who was a, a highly touted recruit at Michigan, he ends up bouncing around, doesn't make it at Michigan. I, I mean, Terrell Davis was a six-round pick. Priest Holmes was undrafted. Arian Foster was undrafted. Just a million guys, you know, up and down the line. Um, I, I don't think, I don't think, you ask yourself, can I see a situation where one guy is talented enough to throw everybody out of the way? I feel that way about a Mixon. I don't think there's somebody, and, and again, I'm, I'm going apples and oranges because Mixon's not cheap. You need to take him in the third or fourth round in most leagues, so you have to devote capital there. But I don't see anybody in Seattle where I, I imagine it's likely that he shoves everybody else out of the way. I just think it's going to be fluid week to week. Yeah, I made the mistake early on after they signed Lacey of looking at the contract and letting that dictate, oh, well, they paid him this much, they're going to you know, play him. And then I remembered what team I was talking about, with the team that played Russell Wilson over Matt Flynn, right? I, I, yeah, I, I don't see it with Lacey. I think that it's hard to rank these guys because of it really comes down to what you need. Do you want that PPR back? Do you want that guy who has some touchdown upside? And I, I'm, I think it's kind of a stay away at this point. But, yeah, a little lottery ticket here and there is fine. What do you think about the – the more, how do I want to put this, the more black and white situations uh, like with the Buccaneers, where Doug Martin is probably the more talented player than Jaquiz Rogers, but Doug Martin is going to be suspended for a few games, and Jaquiz Rogers is going to be the starter in the first few weeks while Martin is out. I know we've talked a lot about getting off to a good start, so I, I would imagine you're not drafting Martin anywhere, but where would you rank or, or pick uh, Jaquiz Rogers? What what sort of scenarios or, or stories can you tell yourself where he's a player you would want on your roster? You know, maybe a month ago or six weeks ago, I was a lot more pro Rogers than I am now. Now, some people might say, well, he's just a guy, to which I replied, well, maybe he's a Jag, but he's Dirk Cutter's Jag. I mean, they were together with the Falcons, and it's not a coincidence that they're together on the Buccaneers. And also interesting that Jeremy McNichols has had such a Here's one thing with with the summer news, right? Whenever teams talk flowery about a flowery uh, speech about their players and they tell you great things, 
I try to say, I try to put my BS detector on and think, okay, maybe there's something to that. Maybe there isn't it's like something. The Niners trying to trade Vance McDonald. Right, exactly. When a player, when a when team or an organization slams a player or says this guy's going to get up to speed, I, I know it's motivational in a lot of cases. But when Dirk Cutter says, you know, Jeremy McNichols run out of chances, I take that at face value. And you know, Rogers, I wish the early season schedule were a little bit easier. Um, I, a month ago or six weeks ago, I thought maybe they might be more open-minded to him being their featured guy for an extended period of time. It's going to be an offense anyway. It's going to throw the ball. We know how good Evans is. They added Jackson. I think Cameron Braid is a tremendous value because people are overrating the presence of O.J. Howard. Cameron Braid can't block. That is a feature for a fantasy tight end. Yes. That is not a bug. <laughs> I, I, I love Braid. I think he'll, have a, he'll think he'll keep most of the stats he posted last year. But, you know, Rodgers is a guy, again, he's got three starts lined up, You know, assuming nothing goes wrong in the first one. I think he'll get a... Anytime you have a running back on a presumably good offense who you can projectively give a reasonable amount of touches to, I mean, running back is so ugly that I don't think people realize how high Rodgers is going to be ranked just because he's their guy for the first few weeks. They'll say, wow, is he really like the RB13 this week? Well, he's going to have to be. There just aren't that many guys who have a good chance at 20-plus touches, and Rodgers will have three games where that's in play. I thought maybe four or six weeks ago that Rodgers would have a better chance of being a longer term solution or making this a muddled committee or maybe Tampa Bay gets off to a good start and they don't want to upset what's working. But I think Martin has done everything they needed to see in camp and he's kind of reestablished that he's clearly their guy. I don't feel as optimistic about Rogers having a long term role in this offense as I did maybe a month ago. Does that mean you're more willing to take a chance on Doug Martin in the mid rounds? You would think it would mean that, but I just, <laughs> I just hate I just hate a guy who can't help me till week four because my feeling is I'll by week four, my roster is going to be different. My team composition, uh, what my team needs and doesn't need who just I'll I'll play. It's like saying, saying to me, okay, you were sitting down at the poker game. Are you going to raise on hand eight? (laughs) I I don't know. I I see how many chips I have, what the table's playing like, what my cards are. I I just don't want to play that hand yet. So Martin, I feel like Martin was probably a good value at one point when I was just dead set on not drafting him. I'm a little bit more open-minded now to taking him if, if I get, quote-unquote, my price. I haven't drafted him proactively. I still think mostly this is going to be a team that's going to throw the ball a lot. And I look at this division. I know division games are only six games on the schedule. But look at this division. You have three quarterbacks who were drafted, I think, number one in their draft class, and then Drew Brees, who you know was a second-round pick but should have been a first-round pick. We've seen a couple of MVPs. There's all sorts of receivers in this division who are great and offenses that are dynamic. I think this is going to be the the most fun division, the most open division, the most, you know, first team to 37 wins division in the league. Again, for what that's worth, it's only six games in division. But I think you're going to have a lot of fun with those interconference games when those AFC East teams play. Well, I guess it's just really the Patriots. But uh, anytime you see an NFC uh, South game on the schedule, I, I think you're in for a lot of pinball. Yeah, we, we, uh, let's talk about Andrew Luck, because we danced around him enough here, and it kind of ties to what we were just talking about, Martin, where we know how much time Martin's going to miss. We don't know how much time Andrew Luck is going to miss. And you, we still see the optimistic picks, right? Just like with Zeke Elliott, the, there's enough unknown to where people, like you said, want to be the hero. They want to jump out and get these guys, because the payoff is huge if they get back on the field in a, in a relatively quick manner, or in Zeke's case, maybe even in week one. But generally, when you're looking at a guy where you don't know how long he's going to be out, I mean, you could even apply this to Odell Beckham if you wanted to. What what does that do to your, your prospects of a player? I mean, 
I feel like at this point we've kind of hashed this stuff over enough to where I could predict that you're going to say, I'm not touching that player. But in the case of Luck, in the case of maybe Beckham, these elite guys where the, where the payoff is bigger, it, does that change things for you at all? I'm not touching any of the cults. I, I hate to say I'm not touching T.Y. Hilton, who you know, won the yardage receiving title last year, uh, although he always scores between five and seven touchdowns at some point. People have to accept that's who he is. But even look in a one quarterback league, you pass on luck because you just it's just so easy to do well at any price point. Brady, Rogers, Breeze, that's fine. I told you I'm in on Russell Wilson. Uh, there are plenty of quarterbacks in that third tier who look good, that fourth tier who look good. We even talked about guys outside the top 20 who we can make cases for. So why force it with luck? And then one quarterback, we won't be able to trade them. Two quarterback, then you deal with the storage problem. The Colts, they have no incentive. Teams have no incentive to tell us the truth. I think the Colts probably more misleading than a lot of teams. But every team, why would Andrew Luck tell us what his status is? You know, why, they don't want to give up a, an advantage to other teams. Or, you know, sometimes a player just wants to, not in the case of Luck, he's not going to lose his job. But I think a lot of times players lie about their injury status because they're trying to protect their livelihood. They're trying to protect their contract or their role with the team. I look at the Colts. Luck's not on my board. Hilton's not. I mean, he's on my board, but he's not. Hilton's not on my board. He's still going in the second or third round of a lot of drafts, and I would never pay that price. Even the fourth round, I'd say, eh, it looks tempting, but if I don't know when Luck's coming back, why do I want Hilton? The drop down to Tolzien is so huge. Uh, Dante Moncrief has just been a disappointing player. I know he's been kind of heavy on touchdowns. We like touchdowns, but he's been such a disappointing player other parts of the field. I, I think he's been overrated for most of his fantasy career. Frank Gore's a great player, but man, he's 34. At some, at some point, the circus leaves town. And there's just so much more downside than upside. I know you draft him at a, at a point where you're not expecting the world anyway, but I hate the offensive line. They've already had a key loss there. Don't see the Colts. They're not on my team. Beckham is an interesting discussion because if Beckham at peak, Beckham, if he's completely healthy, could be the third pick in your draft. I'd still take Antonio Brown after those two running backs, but you could have at least considered Beckham, and, and he'd be a pretty strong number four, number five for everybody. But if he's not going to play week one, one of my big strategies is that when a player is hurt already, it's one thing to, to talk about theoretical injuries, to talk about players who have been hurt a lot and think, well, is he going to get hurt this year? How many games can I expect? But that's a theoretical discussion. When somebody's already hurt and they're not going to play week one, and I know we don't have clarity yet on Beckham, maybe we'll have more clarity, I, I would imagine, between now and the opening part of the season. So people, hopefully when people draft, they'll have a better sense of what Beckham's status is. But my idea is I never draft injured players, meaning play, once somebody's week to week, that's an injured player to me. I don't mean somebody's missed a day of practice. I mean, somebody is his status is important enough now that we have to go to the injury aggregating sites and look at them every day. We have to go to the Twitter accounts and the beat writers and try to figure out what's going on. Once somebody's week to week, that's a quote unquote injured player to me. I will not draft any injured player unless I really like the price. The very simple rule. If I really like the price on Beckham, you know, I'll draft him. I'm not drafting him right now at three. I'm not drafting him at four. I'm not drafting him at five. You know, I will consider him later in the first round. I think it's a no-brainer. He's a great second-round pick. But that's probably a pipe dream. I think in the big money leagues, he's still going in all the, in first rounds in every draft. So I don't want to make up things that don't exist. But uh, I wouldn't take him at four. I wouldn't take him at five. That's just I'm just too risk-averse for that. And again, I, maybe we're, we're kidding ourselves because the, the guy you take in front of Beckham, he could get hurt on the second play of the game. You know what I mean? Anybody can get hurt. But the diff there's a difference between anybody can get hurt and who is already hurt. Yeah, I, I think the thing with Beckham that's more interesting to me is how his health is going to impact the rest of that team. Because like you were talking mm -hmm. about with Deshaun Jackson and 
uh, Washington last year. What is New, New York's offense going to look like if Beckham isn't playing? Like, I, I think Eli is is a complete stay away at that point for me, especially in two quarterbacks. I, I saw a, a stat tweeted by Scott Barrett earlier today that showed just a really big uh, passer rating difference between Manning throwing to Beckham versus all of the receivers. Now, granted, they have different receivers this year, but that that's real. The effect of Beckham not only on those other receivers and how much of the field he opens up for them, but also the effect of Beckham on Manning and Manning's production because Manning was a guy I was already not liking all that much in two quarterback formats with Beckham potentially out for some amount of time. Like I, yeah, I'm, I'm staying away from Manning altogether. Where a are lot you of at? problems there too, right? I mean, their offensive line yep. is, is in a mess and, no running and really game. no running game. And I, I think Manning has been playing pretty mediocre football and it's been partially shielded by the fact that Beckham is so generational, and sometimes Beckham just drags Manning. It's not the other way around. I mean, we we know Beckham is good. That's not news. I'm not breaking anything with that. But I feel like if Manning had an ordinary receiving core around him, and just Beckham and anybody is a great receiving core, because if Beckham is there, just aren't that many guys like him. I think it's it, it may push Eli into the Hall of Fame. I don't really think he's a Hall of Famer, but uh, maybe he'll get in the Hall of Fame. And I think Eli has played very poor football of late. And because of Beckham being able to, to take, you know, to turn, uh, you know, chicken salad and, you know, from chicken, whatever, I, I don't think people realize how close to the end pay, uh, Eli Manning, Peyton Manning, Eli Manning is uh, Cooper Manning. Don't draft Cooper Manning this year. <laughs> I think Eli Manning is a lot closer to the either bottoming out or just being done with football than people realize. Yeah, I totally agree. We saw that kind of lack of arm strength last year bear out in his yards per attempt and just the way he looked when he was playing. And, and he's a guy that I'm not touching. Um, get you out of here on, on one more question here, Scott. I really want to thank you for your time, but it, we've been talking a lot about rankings and this is something that I think about a lot. And I think you have to do this to some extent, but how much do you try to resolve rankings of different teammates from different positions against each other? Like if you look at the Denver Broncos, you talked about how you liked Demarius Thomas as a pick this year and how you think that Emmanuel Sanders is going to be a value too relative to Thomas. If you say had both of those guys inside your top 20 or top 30 at wide receiver, what would that do, or what should that do to your Trevor Simeon ranking? Does that bump him up for you? Uh, similarly, if you think that they're going to pass a lot, do you bump the running backs down? How do you go cross-position with your rankings like that? Yeah, we get asked this a lot. People will say, well, if you like Thomas and you like Sanders, how can you not like Simeon? And, well, first of all, I mean, again, one quarterback league, Simeon doesn't even exist. I mean, you, you maybe you would stream him if he got off to a good start and had a good matchup, but... Is Simeon going to be – first of all, I don't think Simeon's going to derail the offense. I thought Paxton Lynch could have taken taken this offense and just thrown it into a dumpster. I don't think Simeon's going to do that. He has experience. He's worked with these guys. I like the fact that there's continuity there. And not, all, not only is there continuity, but they bring Mike McCoy back, who already is familiar with a lot of these players. And the worst season that Demarius has ever had in the last five years is still that 90-catch season last year. I know the touchdown count was less than you like, but – I love teams with a real skinny usage tree, and the Broncos just don't throw to their third, fourth, fifth receivers that much. It's been such a long time since they've had any kind of tight end who's been a fantasy factor. So I'm very you – know, Thomas, I think, is a great third-round pick. I think Sanders, you have to season to taste what he, where he goes. It could be fifth, sixth, seventh round, depending on how your league is structured and if it's two-quarterback league or not. But Simeon, to me, I, I think he's going to play the whole season. I think he's going to be more competent than people think in part because he has two really good uh, quarterback, two good receivers to work with. He has a defense. I try not to think too much about the defense's role in fantasy. 
but except on the extremes when the defense is really, really good or really, really bad. In the case of the Broncos, it's, it's, I still think it's really, really good. So you would think that would set up some short fields, some good scoring possibilities. It also means they may not have to play 30 to 27 football all that much. And I guess there's something to be said for that. But I think Simeon moved up a little bit on my board just because I, I, they don't, I don't think they want to go to Lynch. I think Simeon would really have to be horrible to, to lose the job. And anybody who, it's easy to tell yourself a story that they're a three or four month starter or quarterback and they have a couple of receivers you like. Those become this is why two quarterback and superflex is so much fun. Those become valuable players. That's Trevor Simeon is somebody I would love. I think he's a perfect third round quarterback. I'm sorry, I'm third uh, quarterback for your depth chart. That that donut you put it in the back of your car that when there's a flat tire somewhere else, you put them on your car and you hope to get 100 miles out of it or 80 miles or 50 miles. And then you get to a service station and you fix your team. I think he's a perfect third quarterback uh, in the superflex format. He's not very much unlike Brian Hoyer in that sort of regard, mm-hmm. right? It's a similar sort of player. And I think you could look at what Denver has going on with those receivers and maybe say, you know, Semyon is a better fantasy pick than Brian Hoyer. He's not going to be ranked like that because of everything we've gone through this preseason with, you know, is it Semyon, is it Lynch? Because in the back of our minds, we still have to consider, you know, maybe they do want to give Lynch some run or, or maybe even Chad Kelly towards the end of the year once he gets healthy. I, I I'm with you, though. I think that Semyon's one of those guys who is, is slowly creeping up my quarterback rankings, and I, I will have a hard time drafting him ahead of maybe a more proven player like Alex Smith, but for someone like Joe Flacco or Blake Bortles, where we're starting to see a few more warts this season, Semyon's a guy who I think you could justify picking over those guys if you believe he is going to start the full 16 games. Definitely, and also, I mentioned McCoy in passing, but let me just underscore something else. One of my favorite things... Uh, in the NFL is when somebody fizzles out as a head coach as McCoy did in San Diego. And then they get put back to, it's like the reverse Peter principle. The Peter principle is the idea that everybody gets promoted to their level of incompetence. And I, I'm not saying Mike, <laughs> I'm not saying Mike McCoy's incompetent or anything, or he doesn't know football. I mean, he, he could break down film, you know, a thousand times better than I ever could. I, I, you know, so I, these guys are smart. They wouldn't be in the league if they weren't. It doesn't mean he was a good head coach or a good delegation of a full football roster, but you think of like Wade Phillips, wasn't a great head coach, was a fantastic coordinator. Nerve Turner, you know, spotty as a head coach, but a really good coordinator. Mike Josh Martz. McDaniels, Mike Martz. Josh McDaniels fizzled out as a head coach for a couple of different reasons. He goes to New England, and, and granted, some nice pieces in New England, but he's making great music with Belichick and Brady and all those guys. I think McCoy could be another player. I think people, a lot of people are going to say, or another coach in this case, I think a narrative is going to be August is going to roll around, or I'm sorry, October is going to roll around, and people are going to say, geez, that Mike McCoy hire, man, look look at what he's done with the Broncos. Look at how comfortable Simeon looks. Man, Sanders and, and Demarius Thomas look really good right now. I think I underestimated this move. Anytime you can get former head coaches as your coordinators, Ken Wisenhunt's another guy, right? I mean, man, his mm-hmm. head coaching resume is horrendous. But do you want him in charge of your offense? I mean, it's a good case that maybe you do. I think this is a great hire from the Broncos. I think it's an underrated hire from the Broncos. I think Simeon's going to be a lot better than people think. Again, as a you know, for what he is, I would take him over Alex Smith. I would take him over Joe Flacco. Um, I would make him a pri- you know, a priority pick as my third quarterback. And, and you need those guys in a super flex league. That third quarterback is going to play for you at some point. It's not just going to be well. I, I have two really good quarterbacks. I'll play them all year. I mean, maybe if you if you went jumbo on your quarterbacks, you could feel that way. But most of us are going to need that third quarterback. And, and again, because of the McCoy getting downgraded to a position that probably fits him better. It's just, and also, 
it's not like he had to go meet the personnel. He's already, he already played with these guys. He's already been in the building with these guys. He knows what they like to do. He knows what their skill sets are. I think the Broncos passing game is going to sneak up on a lot of people. Well, I can't wait to find out. And Scott, I really appreciate you coming on the show. I'm, I know that people who are listening to this don't need to be told where to find your work and whatnot, but uh, why don't you let people know how they can reach you and, and what your, uh, maybe what you have coming up uh, in the next couple of weeks. Sure. Uh, Scott underscore Pianowski on Twitter, P-I-A-N-O-W-S-K-I. And, and if you like uh, podcasts and if you enjoyed this podcast, I do a weekly podcast with Michael Salfino called the Breakfast Table Podcast. A Twitter account for that is breakfast underscore pod. Uh, we've already broken down the main positions. We did a huge running back podcast last week, which I, I still think 95% of it is relevant, even with some of the injuries and news. But so check that out if you can. We'll be doing another podcast this week. Also, Wednesday on Yahoo, I don't know exactly when, but at some point Wednesday, I guess is today if you're listening to the pod, I'm going to be doing the What's in My Wallet piece, which will talk about the players I've drafted the most, why why I've taken them, why I haven't taken them, stuff like that. And and so um, we've had some good hits on that in the past. Um, one year, Jordy Nelson was our main guy. Last year, Doug Baldwin. I know he didn't have anywhere near the season he had in 2015, but Doug Baldwin was a fourth-round pick last year. You, you got receiver 10 out of that it was a it was a profit at the end of the year so uh, adam thielen will be one of the players featured in there probably richard matthews but at least i'll tell you these are the guys you know putting my money where my mouth is these are the guys i need to move the needle this year these are the guys i've invested in that will be on the blog on wednesday and uh, you know if you have a question you want to talk a strategy you want to talk keepers drafts trades whatever you know drop me a line i try to answer as as much as i can i mean a lot of times it depends on when you actually send the mail but uh, when you actually send the uh, tweet but I'm online 17 or 18 hours a day. So your odds of getting me are pretty good. Yeah. I love how accessible you are. That's one, one of the things I really appreciate about your Twitter presence for sure. Scott, um, thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me, Greg. And, uh, I appreciate you waving the flag for the, the great format that you do, uh, the thoughtful work that you guys put forward. Um, this is so much good stuff there. And, um, Keep doing what you're doing. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. For uh, the listeners, be sure to stop by the site. Uh, check out the draft guide if you haven't already. Again, if you use the promo code 2QBXP, that's the number two, and then the letters QBXP, you'll get 10% off your copy. Um, and we are going to update that this week with some new rankings and, and projections and good stuff. Uh, otherwise, 2QBs.com, at 2QBs on Twitter, 2QBs at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to rate and review the podcast, that'd be great. But, you know, everybody's busy. I get it if you don't. So thanks again for listening. We will catch you later this week with a special second episode uh, in this last, uh, you know, the, the, the home stretch before Labor Day weekend. And, and I think that's when most people draft. So um, anyway, thanks, everybody. We'll catch you next time. Adios. Adios.